Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Let's come to those in a minute here, but you know, as you're describing this, I'm thinking of I lived in Japan for more than 20 years, and it is a very patriarchal society. I think very similar, probably more similar to ancient Israel or the ancient Far East than the West is today. And it's an interesting phenomenon that you that you get in a society like that, that even though men play a predominant role or a seemingly predominant, you know, kind of uh, uh, almost a, an oppressive role. What you get there is that women have a latitude in the culture within certain parameters that gives them a freedom. And we see this in Jesus' encounter with several women that, you know, I'm thinking especially of the woman at the well. But in Japan, it's the, the women who are the primary traders on the stock market because they hold, uh, housewives hold the purse strings very often in, in the home. They make the decisions about the education of the children. They are the center of the house, is the Japanese word, the, the family, which is a word very similar to when you talk about the Abrahamic family, you know, the house of Abraham. What you're describing then is the the center of that not simply the the people but the kind of the institution of the family and and it's women then that are first attracted or even able because the culture is in many ways so constrictive of men and you know that they are their lives are con- consumed by masculine roles that it's very hard for them to break out of, that they are businessmen, they, you know, their primary work is outside of the house, and their days are consumed. And so they, they almost have less latitude in the culture than women. And you, and you see that, you know, Jesus has his longest and most profound conversations with, with women, uh, there's, I think there's no longer dialogue than that between Jesus and uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. Nicodemus' conversation comes right before the uh, passage about the woman at the well, that he comes off like the typical male would. He's coming to Jesus at night, just the simplest idiom or metaphor, you're born again. He, he can't get that. His thought is just tied up that he can't, his imagination is kind of stifled. And the contrast then seems to be drawn out there in John, and many times in John, uh, that's the case. The same thing occurs in Luke. There, there is a sense that the radical subordination is already at work in that the shift, the change that Jesus is, is carrying out is already at work in that he's bringing women into a, a, a different role than they played in the society. It was overt, and it, and it was, did bring about a shift just because of his modeling of it. But it is clear that the, there is a, a kind of revolution, that, and that is, I think, at the center of the revolution. I, I think it's a peaceful revolution, right? Right. 
right. uh, Jesus will will begin to um, act out what that looks like. But he would rather, you know, what, what's the saying? He'd, he'd rather um, die for his enemies rather than than kill them. And and I think, you know, I think as churches, uh, especially on this issue, I think we do need to be sensitive. Uh, to to where we're at as a church and where people are at and not just try to bull rush uh, things in as as well, but to uh, continue to to love and nurture and and, uh, teach. (laughs) To accomplish anything, uh, yeah, the the style of authority almost already has to be shifted up, and that's that's what you're, you're describing. So you did the uh, you did the big picture thing. You did the narrative picture. You went through the book of Acts, and you're showing that here is this alternative kingdom. And so, what was the the next step that you took in in uh, the study? So the the next step after we we basically showed that women were in leadership roles. We just we just saw that. Um, you know, of course, we saw that in the Old Testament. The New Testament is not more restrictive than the Old Testament. It, it actually op- is opening up. And so we showed that within the story, women uh, were uh, leading in, in different ways. And I think that is so important to, to show that because then it, it helps us as, as we get to those now those difficult passages with Paul, it begins to help us. And so, and I had, it's funny, I had people, you know, ask me questions, you know, but what about this? Paul says this. And I, you know, I said, I'd, I'd always say, okay, here's the story that we know so far. So somehow either Paul changed his mind drastically or um, there's something else that's going on in these letters. And so when we got to the letters, you know, you're, probably your two big problem areas are in the Corinthian church and then in the Ephesian church. When we got to those letters, we, we first and foremost needed to, to recognize and realize that um, Paul was dealing with uh, some uh, problems that were going on in this church directly. You know, we know the the Corinthian church was a troubled church at, at times and, and had a lot of uh, leadership issues and different things like that. And and so when, when Paul uses uh, verbiage in, in the Corinthian letter about not permitting women to speak and, and different things like that, what's interesting about that uh, verbiage is that if you, if you just take it at face value, um, that phrase and say, okay, that means that women should not speak in the church, which, by the way, um, most churches that I know would say, well, no, we don't. We wouldn't interpret it that way. You know, uh, um, we woman could be, you know, singing or, or, or whatever it may be. But if we were to take it at face value that women uh, have no place to speak uh, in the church, then we really have a contradiction of Paul because not only what we've already seen Paul live out with these other women leaders, um, but in the in the Corinthian church, women women were prophesying. I, I I think women, whatever this means, women you know were were speaking in tongues or those things were already happen happening. Um, I I think it's also in the Corinthian letter 
that uh, Paul refers to some phrases like according to what the law says. So it, it almost sounds like an argument of the reason women are to be silent is, is because the law says women are to be silent. And maybe there's somebody out there who's a whole lot better at this than me, but uh, I couldn't find a law that said women uh, were to be silent. There, there's no law out there. But when you begin to read through the Corinthian letter, what you see in the Corinthian letter is you kind of see discussion going back and forth. Uh, you know, it's, it's like if my friend, you know, from California wrote me a letter, I might refer back to that letter and say, well, you said uh, such and such. And then I would have my reply within the text. Um, we know this is taking place in other places. Uh, you know, we know that Paul is addressing Chloe's household, right? You know, Chloe's household wrote Paul a letter. And so we know he's responding to that letter. And we see within the Corinthian letter, we see bits and pieces of that other letter appear. And so when you begin to, to look into the Corinthian church, you, you see that uh, it looks as if one possibility is, is that, that Paul is quoting some things that maybe Maybe the Corinthian church says, well, the, the law says, but there was, there was no such law. And so, uh, you know, Paul uh, addresses that. There's also, you know, some of the argument, and I think there's some merit to this, is, is that if women are gaining a new position, a new place in life, before they uh, should even teach, they should at least learn, right? You know, that uh, we, we don't want just any, anybody teaching. And so, if the gates are opening up for them to begin to teach, they need to learn learn first. And I think um, when you go over to the Timothy passage uh, with with the Church of Ephesus, I, I think some of that carries in over in that as well. Um, and especially Ephesus. Ephesus was a heavy uh, community, uh, a lot of cultic ac activity, and and women uh, literally, you know, ran a lot of areas within the life of the community of Ephesus. And so, and as they're coming into the church, there's, there seems to be uh, problems and issues within the church. And so Paul tells them, hey, listen, you, you need to learn, which by the way, if the men were causing some of the issues in some of these churches, I think Paul would, Paul would have said, hey, you men, you need to, to be quiet. You, you need to be silent right now and you need to, to learn. You know, there's a there's a lot lot more to that, and there's you know there's there's a lot of uh, scholars that have really wrestled over those passages. We kind of wrestled with some of that. We gave some what what we believed was a, a biblical approach that that honored the narrative, and I th I think that's important that we have to honor the narrative, and and so uh, that's kind of how we handled some of those passages. Yeah, I think uh, N.T. Wright does the, at least he's the one that I've encountered that lays this out most uh, clearly, and that it, it is in the church in Ephesus where there may in fact have been the tendency for the women to take the predominant role because that's the role they had in the local uh, temple and the pagan uh, idolatry. And so the, the women then, the command is that the, we actually... Uh, ha may have a, a translation that misleads us, but the idea is that they too then need to learn. And the idea uh, is not that the, the women are subordinate to the men, but they're, they're, men and women are in mutual submission and submission to the Lord 
in submission to Christ in the manner in which they're learning. Correct. Right. It's almost you, David. I, I sometimes think that you have a, a, a kind of ironic, diplomatic manner that you've absorbed uh, so well the style of leadership in the Bible, that in teaching this, a very controversial topic, that the manner in which you're, you're doing it seems to have been a huge part of it. Is that, have you sensed that? Yeah, I think that that has a part in it. And, and of course, I feel like I, I work with a, a really good group of leaders um, within the church that I find there's, there's great humility in, in them as well. And so, I've been in a located ministry for about 30 years now. And so I have, I have mimicked um, different styles of leadership at time. And, but I've, I've come to the conclusion and, and really started taking Jesus a whole lot more serious as far as what he says about leadership. And, and I think that leadership is, is a very submissive uh, kind of thing. You know, I, I knew that as we went through this teaching, we as a church may say, yeah, we don't want to do this. I knew that that was a possibility as, as well. But as, as far as my, my style of leadership, I, I feel like um, I'm part of a team and that uh, we're, we're working together. And, you know, I, I want to serve out of my giftedness. And so that's, that's kind of my focus. And I, I think really that's an, another issue that rather than seeing people having certain perceived roles, what, what is their giftedness? You know, what have they been gifted with and how can they bring that to the body? And, and so some men are, are not uh, gifted in the area of leadership and some women are gifted in the area of leadership. And so let's, let's put them in the places where their giftedness is. But that's, um, that's where I've been in my, in my own journey. I see within the church today, we've had, uh, you know, very strong and, authoritarian type leaders within the church. And of course, you know, within the last year, we've, we've seen uh, maybe the fruit of that as, as we've seen some prominent leaders kind of fall. My whole approach has been to, to be patient um, because God, God's ultimately in control and, and, it's, and it's his work and, and just simply live out what it means to, to be this, this new community. And so that's, I guess that's, that's been uh, my approach. And again, I, I've been blessed with a good leadership to, to be able to do that and, and live and love them has been a wonderful thing. I think that that maturity that you're describing, maybe that comes late to, to all of us and much later for some of us than others. But part of the problem, I think, and, and as you're describing is this, it's just not modeled for us in that way. The styles of leadership that are, quote, successful in this culture. And in fact, the very style, I think, uh, that is overtly taught in church growth methodology, it, it is part of the doctrine even in certain groups and certain denominations, is that there is a, that authoritarianism is almost built into the system. And what you get in authoritarianism, unfortunately, is also isolation of the leader and separation, you know, from 
the people being led. I think the, the recent failures uh, in, in the megachurches is a sign that maybe the whole model is flawed. It's perverted. Yeah, I think, I think it is. I think that's actually, that's something we as churches need to talk more about because I, I do think it is a, a flawed model. And I, and I think that um, that model will continue, uh, hopefully, to uh, decrease just because I, I think that I don't think it, it worked back in Jesus's day, and I don't think that it's uh, ultimately working in our day. And so I, I think that the church really needs to, to figure out what it means to, to be a part of uh, this this community, this, this new community, and what it means to, to submit really to, to, to one another. And, and to love one another, re- regardless of you know what titles uh, somebody wants to put on us. Dave, this has been a wonderful conversation. I'm so glad that we could uh, take time to, to do this. I think you have some real insights. Well, I, I appreciate it. And uh, I, I, love, I love the work uh, that you're doing. And I know, I, I think, I don't know if it was a year or, or more ago, I came across one of your, your blog articles and just started getting interested. And then uh, have enjoyed uh, taking a, a, a few of your classes as well, and just uh, it's it's been a what you're doing and and the others uh, you know within uh, your ministry is is just uh, I, I love it and uh, I look forward to seeing how God continues to to use that ministry. I appreciate that very much. Thank you, Dave. All right, thank you. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have been moved by this podcast, please remember to share on social media. If you would like to know more about Forging Plowshares, would like to contact us with questions, want to ask about how you can get involved, or for more information about how you can support this ministry, please go to our website at forgingplowshares.org.